Georgia's DBHDD reminds people that the Good Samaritan Law can save lives during alcohol and drug overdoses. People are urged to call 911 and stay until help arrives. More information at opioidresponse.info. Thanks for listening to the Political Rewind podcast. Be sure to like and follow us and rate us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Uh, By now, I think most people awoke to news that broke overnight. Herschel Walker's campaign has been hit with two explosive news reports that, um, well, in one case, a news report, and the other tweets from his own son that could threaten to completely uh, undermine his efforts to win uh, the U.S. Senate seat against uh, Raphael Warnock. I want to get right to the panel and start talking about uh, what happened. So let me start by introducing Tamar Hallerman, who is my Tuesday partner on the show. You know she's the senior reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Tamar, you know, if you were back covering the Hill, you'd be up there chasing Mitch McConnell all over the building, <laughs> trying to get him to make a comment about what he thinks about Herschel Walker today. Absolutely. Him and the uh, NRSC have spent millions of dollars boosting his candidacy. Obviously, it's seen as one of the, the best pickup attempts uh, for the Republicans to take over the chamber in November. And you have to be wondering what's floating around in his head this morning. Maya King is a New York Times politics reporter based here in Atlanta. And Maya, I, as I said before the show, when we talked briefly, we're very grateful you could be with us because you are going to be out there having to chase Herschel to find out what he has to say about all this today. Yes, we we will see exactly um, if if he's out at all um, or if he's, if he's actually kind of gone perhaps underground for a few days here, which has been his campaign's strategy uh, after crisis, but it will be a day indeed. Uh, Chuck, uh, we're glad to have uh, you with us, Chuck Williams, a reporter for WRBL-TV in Columbus, but a longtime uh, reporter in his part of the state, a longtime print reporter, covered politics uh, for many, many years. Chuck, thanks for being here on an important day. Thanks for having me, Bill. And joining our panel of journalists is um, Tammy Greer, political science professor at Clark Atlanta University. Tammy, we're grateful to have you here as well today. Thank you, Bill. Thank you so much. So let's get right to the news. Um, Let's start tomorrow with the Daily Beast report that uh, broke last night. Um, The Daily Beast, I'm going to just read the lead of their story. Herschel Walker, the football legend now running for Senate in Georgia, says he wants to completely ban abortion, liking it to murder, and claiming there should be no exception for rape, incest, or the life of the mother. But the Republican candidate has supported at least one exception for himself. And uh, their story is about a woman who asked not to be identified because she was concerned about her privacy, who said a number of years back, Uh, She and Walker conceived a child out of wedlock, obviously, and Walker, by the way, wasn't married at the time. Um, He urged her to get an abortion and uh, paid for it, $575 apparently, Um, and um, uh, Walker has never 
acknowledge this and, in fact, today is denying this accusation, saying it's a lie. Tamar? Yeah, absolutely huge news for a guy who has such a hard line stance on abortion. And the woman who spoke to the Daily Beast provided some pretty compelling evidence. She didn't share her identity, but she included the receipt from the abortion clinic, a get well card sent from Walker, and the Daily Beast actually posts that on their website. Um, a bank deposit receipt, and they talked to a friend of hers who she had spoken to uh, after having the, the procedure. So obviously pretty damning, uh, you know, October surprise for Herschel Walker, um, so close to the election at a time when polls show the race being so tight, but Senator Warnock having a, a little bit of a lead here. And it makes me wonder how many you know, moderates and Republicans will still want to turn out for him after seeing that. Maya, let me clarify what I said. In fact, she showed the Daily Beast a, a, a canceled check from Hershey Walker for $700. She explained that um, she also showed him a receipt for the abortion, which was $575. And she said the difference was because she, quote, ballparked the cost of the abortion and Walker gave her the $700. I just want to clarify that, Maya, but your take on all this. Well, I mean, I think I would echo Tamar's point that really the big, the biggest story here is the fact that Walker has gone out of his way against any, um, any access really to the procedure of abortion. And now this story comes out that reveals his hypocrisy. I think the two big questions that I have from here, the biggest, of course, is what will voters think? What will Republican voters in Georgia who are already used to, especially Trump supporters who are used to this sort of uh, song and dance from their candidate. The media is pushing these stories about me that are scandalous. And, you know, the, uh, as, as Trump has said, and Herschel has already said, this is not true. This is, you know, uh, part of a campaign of sorts against me. Um, you know, do voters feed into that with Walker, especially this year when abortion is so front of mind for all voters and, um, and abortion access as well? And the second question is whether or not uh, Walker will debate Raphael Warnock. I think that's another another mm. big question here, because if he does indeed, uh, I imagine that that will be one of the bigger topics that is discussed on the stage. Tammy and Chuck, um, Walker uh, appeared on Sean Hannity's Fox News show last night, and obviously Sean Hannity did ask him about these allegations. We pulled a couple of sound bites from uh, the interview. Let, let's play, uh, uh, if we can, Chase, the first one in which uh, Walker uh, claims this is a complete lie. I have no, no idea, but it is a flat out lie. And, uh, and now you know how important this seat is. This seat is very important that they'll do anything to win this seat, lie, because they want to make it by everything else except what the true problems that we have in this country is, this inflation, the border wide open, crime. They don't want to talk about that. So they're making up lies now because they need this Georgia seat. So I'm going to encourage anyone out there, let's not let them take this seat. Tammy um, Walker quickly deflecting by talking about the issues he thinks will work against Democrats in this election cycle. Right. And he wasn't necessarily truthful um, with his retort um, about those particular issues as well. Um, I find it very interesting. Uh, again, we're having men to discuss uh, women's bodily autonomy. Um, and um, the interesting part to me is um, if 
indeed, you know, all of this is true. Uh, just the acceptance of it and talking about the realities of what most people go through um, and, you know, kind of personalize it and, and making it such that, you know, it's not a shameful act, uh, yet and still the way to which Walker and others who are uh, demonizing and dehumanizing women who have abortions or who want their own bodily autonomy, it's, it's, it's fascinating to hear the hypocrisy and then the deflection from the hypocrisy um, and then the automatic uh, wannabe forgiveness for the hypocrisy. Um, Chuck, why don't you weigh in on this? You know, Bill, as the news broke last night and then this morning as I've kind of been digesting it, I keep going back to an interview I did this spring with Gary Black. Gary Black was a Georgia Ag Commissioner running against Walker in the Republican primary. And I did a 10-minute studio interview and a podcast with Gary. And one of the things he said, I said, can Walker win the seat? And he said no. And he started laying out not this specific allegation, but he says there are things we don't even know now that will start coming out. And he obviously had been doing his opposition research. So he said there are things we don't even know that will be coming out between now and November. And by the time it is over, he will be so bloodied he can't win. And, you know, and I just keep going back to that conversation with Gary and I, and Lathan Sadler, another opponent in that race said some of the same things, but he wasn't as direct or as forceful in his comments as Gary Black was. Um, let me just add a little more to what the Daily Beast reported. Uh, they, the, the reporter who did the story asked the woman if Walker had ever expressed regret for the decision to ask her to get an abortion. The woman said that Walker never had. And then, and then she was asked why she came forward and she said it was because of Walker's hardline anti-abortion position. I just can't with the hypocrisy anymore, she said. We all deserve better. But Maya, you made a point that I think is important here. And that is, and we'll talk about this in regard to the other story, which is this string of explosive tweets that his son Christian uh, uh, sent out overnight as well. But, but you pointed out the fact that maybe Walker supporters are used to the media uh, telling lies about uh, conservative candidates like Walker. And in fact, uh, Robert Ingram, who is a lawyer for Walker, called it a false story and said, quote, all you want to do is run with stories to target black conservatives. You focus on black conservatives, sort of supporting your uh, question as to whether you know, the voters who were sticking with, who were uh, supporting Walker will stick with him despite these revelations. Yeah, I think it's, um, it's, it's now becoming a feature of, of politics in this era, particularly Republican politics, where a scandalous story with some pretty, pretty tight, rather damning reporting comes out about a high profile conservative candidate. And the immediate knee-jerk reaction is to simply say this isn't true. But one thing that I thought was interesting that I think is worth paying attention to is, is Walker's interview with Sean Hannity last night. Um, Hannity really didn't pull a lot of punches and sort of went through the details of this Daily Beast story. Of course, you know, giving Walker a chance to respond to it in friendlier territory, but, but, but still asking for a response there. You know, not just completely 
um, wiping this away as just a complete and total media hit job, in the words of a number of conservatives um, as, they, as they talk about the press. And so that, to me, lets me know that perhaps in some conservative circles, they would be willing, and, and certainly for the sake of holding the Senate, to, to take away or, uh, or, you know, ignore just about anything as it relates to Walker. But on this, um, yeah. they, they, they at least want him to, to, to give them something to work with in the way of a response. Uh, Tamar, let's talk a little more about that Sean Hannity interview. If uh, calling the charge a lie isn't enough, you've always got God, who you can put up as a defense, as Herschel Walker did in the interview last night. Let's listen to that. You know, I, I do scholarship for kids. I give money to people all the time because I'm always helping people because I believe in being generous. God has blessed me and I want to bless others. And I got into this race because I'm a Christian. I love the Lord Jesus Christ. And I always tell everyone that no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Tomorrow, he was answering Sean Hannity's question about the $700 check. Did he, in fact, remember sending a $700 check to this woman? As you heard him say, I send money to a lot of people. And by the way, all of this is part of my uh, Christian belief. Tamar? Yeah, and obviously that's something that he's hoping will play well with more conservative evangelicals who who would be in his corner. And I want to go back to what Mai was saying about how this has become a feature of the era with conservative Republicans in terms of kind of turning around, blaming the media, Um, You know, there's all these hit jobs against us from the liberal media coastal elite. And obviously, it's something that's worked so effectively for Donald Trump. And I think a lot of candidates who are finding themselves in tough spots that traditionally might derail an entire campaign, they're like kind of crossing their fingers and hoping if they can replicate what Donald Trump, Teflon Don, did so well uh, over the course of his uh, years in politics. They're hoping it'll work for them. And look, Herschel Walker, not only does he have the seal of approval from Donald Trump, but he also has lots of goodwill from his time on the UGA football team. He still is considered a a hero in Georgia. It'll be interesting to see if that will be enough to carry him over the finish line in in November or whether this can truly derail his candidacy. All right. um, Let's move on to uh, Christian Walker, his son, who kind of out of nowhere uh, began tweeting about his dad last night, all, all, almost at the same time that the Daily Beast story was put up online. Uh, Christian Walker has never, in he's got a very popular social media following. He's a conservative. He's been tweeting a lot about how much he admires Ron DeSantis, so you know where he stands uh, politically, but he's never said anything positive about his dad's campaign. I'm just going to read you Uh, the tweets that uh, came out from Christian last night. I don't care about someone who has had a bad past and takes accountability, but how dare you lie, and dare you lie is in all caps, and act as though you're some moral Christian upright man. You've lived a life of destroying other people's lives. How dare you, he said of his father. Every family member of Herschel Walker asked him not to run for office because we all knew some of his past, every single one. He decided to give us the middle finger and air out all his dirty laundry in public while simultaneously uh, lying about it. Um, Just, Chuck, weigh in on that. Wow. Um, You know, Christian has not, 
Christian has not been shy about his opinions, and that was the first thing in my inbox from one of our former producers this morning and was she had sent me the tweets just to make sure I wouldn't miss them. And, you know, his life, Christian's life's got to be very complicated right now. And a lot of younger people play out the complications in their life on social media. 30 years ago, you would have never seen that. You would have never seen that expression from a family member in that way, real raw and in real time. So, you know, welcome to the world that we live in now. And it's it's just, it was an amazing series of three tweets, an amazing series there, of tweets. Tammy, there's one more. I know my mom and I, and, and his mother, of course, has been featured in ads run by us, the PACs that support Raphael Warnock and by the Warnock campaign themselves, talking about the time when he threatened her by putting a gun to her head, saying he was going to blow her brains out. And so Walker tweeted, I know my mom and I would really appreciate if my father, Herschel Walker, stopped lying and making a mockery of us. You're not a family man when you left us to bang a bunch of women, threatened to kill us, and had us move over six times in six months running from your violence. So, Tammy, obviously there's a political, uh, huge political question about this, but it also struck me as I listened to this, and, and Chuck kind of referred to it, what a tragedy for a, a young man who grew up in apparently this awful, awful environment at home, if everything he says is absolutely accurate. There's a personal component to this as well. Absolutely. There's a personal component. And um, it's really sad that some of our political family's business are, you know, put in the streets. And there's a lot of context that we don't know, um, a lot of information that could have been some type of reconciliation uh, between father and son, um, and then with all of these different revelations, maybe that was undone. Uh, we don't know. Um, and I really do uh, think that uh, without the context of really appreciating the personal side to it, um, it, it's very tragic on all levels. I do want to add to um, the earlier bit um, that I don't know if this is truly going to derail Walker's campaign. I think that conservatives are very clear that if uh, this seat were to flip, then the Senate majority would turn Republican. Mitch McConnell may have the opportunity to become Senate majority leader again. And Mitch McConnell delivered masterfully for conservatives in terms of federal judges in the Supreme Court um, proceedings uh, in order to confirm um, a slew of conservative uh, judges and justices. Um, and, and this, I think, is the most important aspect to those that, that are traditional Republican conservative, well, conservative Republicans. Um, and, and so this may be a thing where conservatives are like, we don't like it, we'll keep it moving because we understand at the end of the day policy matter and conservative judges matter. 
Um, Tamara, you, you talked about it briefly at the very beginning of the show, and, and that is what's going to be fascinating. You know, while Maya King is out trying to get Herschel Walker uh, somewhere on the campaign trail, she hopes today, uh, your uh, uh, colleague, Tia Mitchell, and many others in Washington will be chasing down Republican leaders up there. And it's very hard to, un- to know exactly how a Mitch McConnell, who has stood by Walker, even as he's turned his back on a couple of other real right-wing Senate candidates, particularly in Arizona, and yet uh, fundraisers for Walker said he backs him completely. It's going to be fascinating to see how uh, he, among others, how they, what their take will be on this. Yeah. And, you know, we've heard Mitch McConnell recently complain about candidate quality in some races. And I'm, I wonder what's going to happen. You know, it's, it's one thing what they'll say out of their mouths. It, the, the thing we should be watching is what they do with their wallets in these newest campaign finance mm. reports. Do we see them invest any more money in Georgia? Do they just decide, you know what, we've already spent millions of dollars, even if Herschel Walker has gassed or has all these uh, blemishes in his past, it's still worth it to ha- try and get our Senate majority through through Georgia. Or if they do shift and try and put more resources elsewhere in the hopes that, that another candidate can get them there. Uh, it reminds me, I believe it was the, the 2012 cycle where they had an issue in, I believe it was uh, Todd Aiken. I think it was in Indiana, Christine O'Donnell, mm-hmm. the woman who said, I'm not a witch. It, it kind of reminds me of then when there were these golden opportunities to pick up seats in conservative areas. And, um, you know, they ended up losing those those battles because of uh, candidate gaffes. And we even see on Twitter this morning, Eric Erickson, a conservative radio host, likening Herschel Walker right now to Roy Moore, the, the flawed Senate cal- candidate in Alabama, the one who uh, was dating teenage girls in his 30s. So um, I guess we'll, we'll see as the, the weeks go on, but I will be very curious to see how many campaign appearances we'll be seeing from Herschel Walker and indeed whether he does want to debate Raphael Warnock in the weeks ahead. I want to talk in a minute about the other side of the race. How does Raphael Warnock uh, respond to this? It's a tricky situation in some ways. But before we do, uh, Maya, go back to something that you raised a question about earlier. And that is, do the Walker people uh, pull him off the campaign trail now? That's one thing. But then, do they go so far as to make a decision uh, come up with an excuse as to why he should not participate in that October 14th debate with Raphael Warnock. Yeah, I think, you know, the Walker campaign has sort of um, in recent in recent weeks tried to make the candidate more public. But then it's sort of this mm-hmm. continual pattern of he's, he goes public after the criticism, perhaps another scandal breaks and then he goes back in back underground I, I will see today, I think, if he if he does indeed go back on the trail. Um, we're already now starting to see the, the, the conservative establishment trickle in with words of support uh, for Walker, which I think, you know, that's what they need. Because one thing that they realize is the longer that Walker continues to talk about and defend himself against these personal allegations, the less that takes away from the message that they want Walker to push, which is all yeah. about the economy all about Biden's perceived shortcomings, all about what Raphael Warnock is and is not doing for Georgia voters. I think that's the message that Republicans want Walker to focus on, but he simply can't for as long as he's either hiding from these stories or just having to answer to them. And that's that's the risk they took, however, not choosing to line up behind Walker as this candidate, knowing at least some 
of 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 the the baggage in its past. Chuck, um, your station WRBL is the same ownership as WSAV, which is going to sponsor that debate on October fourteenth. The one debate that. Walker agreed to appear in with Raphael Warnock. Um, so there's a lot invested in, in it. Um, what's your sense of whether Walker goes forward with this or not? There is a debate. Both sides have agreed to it. It's scheduled for October the 14th at 7 p.m. at the plant Riverside in Savannah. There is a debate. It is scheduled. Next Star is moving forward to get ready for this debate. And um, I think a lot of people are going to be very interested to watch it when it happens. All right. I do want to get to a break, but I want to come back and spend at least a couple minutes on how Raphael Warnock and his campaign handle this from their point of view. We'll do that and more after these messages. Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon. Before I get back to the panel, just a quick reminder, tomorrow is Political Rewind Newsletter Day. If you want to get our newsletter Set to your inbox on Wednesday afternoons, you can join us by going to gpb.org slash newsletters. And actually, I'm writing a piece for the newsletter. Uh, when, I, when I was reading about and listening to Herschel Walker use the word lie, lie, lie over and over again, it reminded me there was a time when politicians didn't use the word lie in that bald-faced way. And it, I thought about 1988, when Bob Dole made national headlines when he told George H.W. Bush to stop lying about his record when they were running against each other for the Republican nomination for president. Times have changed enormously since Dole uh, was his campaign in many ways undermined by that remark. All right, let me get back to the panel. Um, Chuck Williams from WRBL is with us. Tammy Greer, Clark Atlanta University. Tamar Hallerman and Maya King of the New York Times. Um, so Tamar, the Warnock, Warnock was asked about uh, uh, these reports and didn't really backed away. You know, he he didn't want to talk about it much. And in in one sense, it does put his campaign in a somewhat tricky position. And I I, I assume, I mean. I've always said I'd be a terrible political consultant, but I'd assume you stand back and let the uh, Republicans do the damage to themselves or the Walker campaign do its own damage. At the same time, though, we've seen his campaign or, or at least groups allied with his campaign put out ads kind of highlighting what they say is is mm-hmm. Walker's hypocrisy. And they've shown clips of his ex-wife, Cindy Grossman, talking about some of the domestic abuse. So. You know, that's certainly a strategy, right? You might not want those words coming out of Senator Warnock's mouth um, so that, you know, that can't be cut up and put into different ads. But you also have your aides and your allies kind of doing that dirty work for you. So at least it's out there for voters to see. 
So there is a bit of a delicate dance, right? He knows that this is a tight race, that he's vulnerable, that Republicans want to go after that. So you want to be careful about what may come out of your mouth. But certainly you want the media, you want the public to know exactly what your candidate has been up to. Chuck, I had the same thought that Tamar did, that the the Warnock campaign, it's not as if they all of a sudden now have to run spots attacking Walker for his behavior toward his ex-wife uh, uh, in, 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 you know, when he, he threatened violence against her, they've already laid the groundwork for this. So it, it, in a way, uh, that gives them some cover uh, to continue. In fact, I saw a new version of the Grossman spot on TV this morning in which they talk about another woman, unnamed, who has now come forward to say that he threatened to kill her at one point as well. You know, Bill, one of the wisest old goats I know is Calvin Smirey. And I was talking to Calvin, who's a longtime dean of the General Assembly, about what happens when the other side sort of going at each other. And he says, if they're in a circular firing squad, you get out of their way. And I think that's a little bit of what you're going to see Warnock do. They, and like you said, they've laid the groundwork. And now all they've got to do is let, I mean, let whatever comes out of the Twitter the Twitter machine from Christian and other stuff kind of kind of do what it's going to do. And I think you know eventually Senator Warnock will say something. We all know that it's going he's going to have to. But I suspect they'll pick that spot very very wisely. Maya, no, I agree. I agree. I think. Um, this is the thing about Warnock, too, is that he has been very, very measured in all of his responses to just about anything. He knows that he has to have the right answer on the on the policy and um, and even social issues that are going to make sure that the base turns out. But Georgia is still very much a pretty evenly divided state in terms of uh, political ideology. At least that's the, the common political knowledge right now. And I think that's reflective in how Warnock has run his campaign which is pretty much straight down the middle, not trying to talk so much about anything that's going to be overly inflammatory. And in this case, that also consider that also means being really careful about how he talks about his own Republican opponent. Yesterday, um, the uh, Greg Bluestein at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution managed to get um, some, some comment from Warnock at an event, and he just essentially repeated what he's always said just about abortion. Mm-hmm. Uh, this line that he has often repeated in some speeches and to the media, which is that he feels that he is a pro-choice <laughs> pastor, really for um, for rather, I would say, uh, pragmatic reasons. That a doctor's office is not enough space, he says, for the United States government, a woman, and her doctor. Um, I think we're going to have to hear more from him, though, now, especially if we are faced with a situation where Walker is pulled out of the debate. I don't want to preemptively say that that's going to happen either way. It may very well be that Walker's campaign's calculus is he should defend himself on the debate stage then. But um, because of how measured Warnock has been, I know I joined many people in the in the press right now waiting for just a little bit more red meat from the incumbent senator um, as it relates to this stream of, of scandals from his opponent. Tammy, we should remind people that the Walker campaign tried to draw an equivalency between Walker's uh, past uh, violent threats uh, toward his ex-wife and now others, um, and uh, the incident in which Raphael Warnock was accused by his ex-wife, they were then in the midst of a tough divorce, of running over her foot 
in uh, a drive in, in a driveway of their house. It turned out that there was no evidence that police could find that that she had been had her foot run over. But it's conceivable, of course, that the Walker campaign goes back to uh, talking about uh, uh, Warnock's uh, supposed violence against his wife. Um, and his ex-wife is not on the news or, you know, talking to yeah. people and, and, and describing with uh, evidence of, um, of having a gun to her head. Um, I, I think this is a very interesting um, space that the current uh, senator is in. Um, I think that um, I agree, you know, uh, let him have his own Jen Psaki, who's out there, you know, beating the drum for him and let him be above the fray. Um, I think, though, that, you know, um, it's important for the senator to maybe be a bit more crisp on the difference, not only between him and Walker when it comes to their stance on uh, women's bodily autonomy. Um, it, it also is important to make it plain for the people, especially when uh, Walker is talking about um, a federal uh, abortion ban and, um, and you have Lindsey Graham talking about um, an abortion ban that's also extremely conservative. And then, of course, if Walker is in the Senate, then they'll come to some happy, quote unquote, agreement um, that is still compromising to women's bodily autonomy. So I think that while the senator should, uh, you know, to maintain his brand, to stay above the mud that is the situation, still the topic, the issue is still critical enough that the senator can get a bit more specific as to the impact of having a Walker win and, and what that will have not only on the people of Georgia, also the people across the country. All right. Um, we've spent a lot of time, obviously, on Herschel Walker and these revelations, and we're going to have to watch in the days ahead to see how uh, this impacts uh, that Senate campaign. So, uh, uh, Chuck Williams, let's talk a little bit about uh, the latest in the gubernatorial race. Um, we know that most polls have a, show a trend of Brian Kemp being ahead of uh, Stacey Abrams by up to eight points, according to the AJC's poll. Um, many people think it's in the margin of error. But but I think there's a, a, a common understanding that she has some ground to make up here. And Abrams has now launched a new line of attack against Kemp, in which uh, in two commercials, she essentially accuses him of using his office to enrich himself and to award uh, uh, non-competitive contracts to one of his big, big supporters. Chuck, talk a little bit about that and whether at this stage in the race that kind of strategy is likely to have much impact on voters. Bill, is there a governor's race? We haven't talked about that much. <laughs> um, and, you know, it, it's interesting because if you believe the polls, Abrams is down. She's got to make up ground. And there is only so much oxygen in a room. And what the Senate race is doing right now is sucking the oxygen out of that room. It's sucking the oxygen on these TV ads. The Senate race is literally front and center. And, you know, if you had asked 
the bet in January 1st, I would have bet the governor's race would be front center over the senator's race, Senate race. So when you look at what has happened, I suspect the calculus for Abrams and for, and for Kim, the calculus for both of them is changing every day based on the political climate in the state and another race that has somewhat usurped the oxygen from the from the governor's race. I don't know if that makes Tomorrow, sense. That's but. Yeah, no, no, no. I think it's important. And tomorrow, I think one of the things to, to mention there is that um, the Abrams spots are could be under some circumstances getting some headlines. They one of the spots they call Kickback Kemp notes that he grew his net worth by something like three point four million dollars uh, during his uh, first term. A- and then another spot talks about the fact that he uh, uh, awarded a uh, I don't have the figure something like a seven hundred million dollar contract to Jackson Healthcare. Um, a non-competitive contract uh, during COVID-19's pe- the, the biggest part of the pandemic, and uh, and Jackson Healthcare uh, and, and the executives there have been big donors to the campaign. Yet, as Chuck points out, I'm not sure how much attention that gets, considering what's going on right now with Walker and Warnock. Yeah, and I mean the the governor also. You're you're so right, Bill. I. I'm kind of surprised um, to kind of see how relatively calm the governor's race has been the the last couple of weeks. And that, of course, can change. But the governor has had a lot of different levers he can pull to kind of help level out those attacks. And I think that's why you're seeing the Abrams campaign shift in, in kind of what they're talking about a little bit. He's been able to use the powers of his office to really help buoy um, his popularity and kind of help out with with voters. I mean, right now, Many low-income Georgians are redeeming $350 checks to help them pay for groceries and gas bills and that sort of thing. And that's why you see, I think, um, the Abrams campaign going after the governor for enriching himself and kind of using the powers of his office in order to do so. Whether that's going to make a difference at a time when so many Georgians are struggling to pay their bills, I'm not so sure. Tammy? It's very fascinating um, to see, I think, some of the goodwill, as Tamar said, that the governor has has gained when it comes to um, some of the relief funds. um, And then, of course, the pushing back on the former president. And so there has been uh, some some warm spots in the the general public uh, for Governor Kemp. Um, And I think sometimes some of these... Um, some of these truths come out way too late when it's already baked in, um, in terms of, you know, we are, what, like two weeks away from early voting, from the the start of early voting. I don't know if waiting until so late is actually helpful for any of the candidates. Um, It's because we have early voting and so much time of early voting now, and people take advantage of it. So it, it will be very interesting to see, you know, all of this. And one could argue that this is an attempt at throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks right before um, early voting begins. Early voting starts uh, two weeks from today, 
October 17th. So, Maya, I'm interested in your take on this because you represent a, a, a very important national newspaper. And, and I'm wondering, if, if you don't mind letting us behind the curtain a little bit here, how, how dip, is it harder to sell a story about the Georgia governor's race, which has been considered a very important race across the country? Stacey Abrams, a major national Democratic figure. But is it harder to sell a story about her than about Warnock uh, Walker? Well, I think on a day like today, it's probably harder to sell that well, story. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so be um, it. <laughs> but, you know, we don't, uh, we have certainly not declared any candidate dead in the water here. And uh, we wrote a story several weeks ago about how Democrats were starting to, you know, have some concerns about the state of Abrams' campaign. I think that's an ongoing storyline. And this remains one of the most closely watched, and I should also mention high, like most expensive uh, governor's races in the country. And of course, the, the historical implications for Abrams being the first black woman governor are not lost on any of us. Um, you know, there are, there are any number of, of angles to go at here that makes this story just as interesting and compelling. It's just that the Senate race, I think right now, um, is a lot juicier, we'll say. Oh, sure. Yeah, we, I do want to I do want to remind our listeners that your piece on on Abrams difficulties in uh, uh, attracting black voters and some of the concerns now being expressed by Democrats over that was a, a, a major story that got a lot of attention. Uh, and of course, heavy criticism from the Abrams campaign itself, but it drove a news cycle uh, for a while. And I was glad when we had you on the show a couple of weeks ago to talk about it. Chuck, jump in on this. So I want to jump in on something that Tamar said just a minute ago, and Kemp has used his office very, very smartly as a campaign tool. I mean, you go back to the primary. He just destroyed Senator Purdue when he went around the state signing the various bills the General Assembly had uh, passed, the, the constitutional carry, military bills in Columbus. It was just amazing how he used that. And then you know, he held an event in West Point last week at the Kia training facility where he was touting the uh, the ninth straight year Georgia was ranked the best uh, state in the nation to do business. And he had business leaders with him. And he was, you know, he, he has certainly used the bully pulpit that is the governor's office, one of the most powerful governor's offices in the country, to his political advantage without question. All right, let's do this. Let's get to the final break of our show and come back with more on today's Political Rewind. One more quick program note. Uh, Chauncey Elkhorn of Capital B just did an extensive interview with Stacey Abrams, and Chauncey's going to be on the show tomorrow to talk about what she had to tell him about her campaign. So be sure to tune in as Chauncey joins the panel for the show. You know, people who listen to the show regularly know that I send out the day ahead, a day ahead of time topics that I hope we're going to be able to discuss, just giving panelists a heads up. And also that often those things are blown out of the water when big news comes along. That's certainly been the case today. And I'm grateful to the panel for uh, rolling with the stories that have broken. And Tammy, I say that because I have one more news story that I'd love to start with you on. The Abrams campaign has accused 
the Kemp campaign of intentionally darkening Stacey Abrams' skin in uh, commercials uh, that uh, show her face. It's not a new charge. Lori Lightfoot, when she was running for mayor of Chicago, accused her opponent of the same thing. Jamie Harrison accused the Lindsey Graham campaign of doing it in the South Carolina Senate race. But it is not an accusation to be lightly dismissed. Tammy? It is um, a trope that is uh, not unfamiliar. Um, And, you know, one could argue if I were in the Kemp's campaign to, you know, use it as a metaphor for the political and social and economic (laughs) atmosphere that would come to be if Abrams was elected governor. At the same time, that would uh, be a kind um, <clears throat> justification from the campaign. Um, it's it's very, um, I, I would say, um, unfortunately, typical to have such to take place. Um, it goes to the very uh, fear that some have about having uh, a black person to be in leadership, particularly as an executive. Um, and, and, and one could say that having, you know, that fear comes from, you know, we did certain things to certain communities. Now, if they get in office, they would do the same to us, which, again, is, is a fear that is not founded. Um, this happened with Barack Obama. This, this has happened uh, across the political. This has happened to Democratic um, and uh, third party uh, persons of who are non-white um, has happened so often that it's really sad that we have to go to almost schoolyard type of scenarios um, because for some reason a candidate or a campaign feels that they are losing on the issues. Um, and this is what creates a, a division. And this is what creates the thought and in, in, in the minds of people who are not politically attuned every day, that this is why folks don't like politics. This is why it doesn't matter. Chase, do we have the Andrew Gillespie soundbite? Ch- uh, Doug Richards of 11 Alive News uh, did a story on this uh, yesterday, and he uh, uh, talked with uh, Andrew Gillespie, who you all know is a frequent panelist on the show. Let's just listen uh, briefly to what Andrew has to say and then come back to the panel. When you're changing skin tone, especially given the fact that this has happened before, right, th- there's really no way around uh, pinpointing the racial intent of, of, of what's happening there. Maya, you know, as an older white guy, I find this so offensive, I can't even uh, describe it. Um, give us your take on uh, when this sort of thing happens. You know, unfortunately, this is another one of those, I think, negative features of, of, of campaigns, and we've seen it happen on the national and the state level. It's meant to send a message and appeal to the, the lesser, I think, instincts of some voters, particularly non-Black voters. But I think it has more of a blowback effect than, it, than, than anticipated every time, because as soon as you're called on it and as soon as the proof is there, you know, it just makes you look really, really prejudiced. I think it's a gamble being made. I've, I've said this a lot on this show, but fear is such a potent driver of voters. And I think doing something like that, just like Maya said, kind of highlights this, this fear, you know, in the hope that you can bring out some, um, you know, 
white voters. But obviously the the blowback now, especially that now that people are calling folks out on it on social media, you've also seen it. I remember John Ossoff during the campaign in, in 2020, you know, highlighting somebody who he said, you know, drew his nose out to make it look bigger. Um, people are starting to call it out. And um, I'm surprised, to be honest, that we're, we're still kind of seeing this behavior. Uh, Chuck, um, you've got an interesting congressional race going on down in the second district where Sanford Bishop uh, is running as, of course, a white Republican candidate. Um, but this isn't the sort of tactic you would use in a race like that, because Sanford Bishop has been a pretty well-loved uh, a member of Congress for a very long time by the people in that district. He's been reelected, what, uh, 10 times more than that, actually. He has been, this is his 16th election. He's 15 and 0, Bill. That's a, that, that, where I, where I come from, 15 and 0 is a pretty good season. Um, but what, what's happening down here is Stanford Bishop has long had the support of agricultural interest in Georgia second. And it, it's a big district that includes a lot of the agricultural business in Georgia. All, it's all the way from Columbus and Macon down to Thomasville. So you've got that whole Southwest Georgia chunk of like 30 plus counties. And ag guys have supported Sanford in the past. One, Some people think that's one of the reasons he stayed in there so long. Chris West comes from an agricultural family. He is trying to chip away at Sanford's agricultural support and that's one of the things that West is using to try to unseat Sanford Bishop. This, this race could have been a very different race had Chris West not, by less than a thousand votes, upended Jeremy Hunt. Jeremy Hunt was a D.C. handpicked candidate, African-American, West Point grad, son of an Atlanta preacher. He came down here, and he was gearing up to be the guy that took out Sanford Bishop. He had money from Tom Cotton's group. He had Nikki Haley in here campaigning for him. He was the guy. Well, the guy didn't get to the start line. And now they've had to refigure the way they're they're going at this, but I tell you what, I don't think Sanford Bishop is uh, underestimating Chris West, and they are running a lot of Chris West too extreme for uh, the second district ads down here right now. Um, all right, it's going to be a fascinating uh, race uh, to watch, obviously. Uh, tomorrow, one last element before we leave, and we are close to out of time. Um, we spent a lot of time in the show yesterday uh, talking about the new a session of the United States Supreme Court and some of the cases they were taking up. And one of them, I had said, there, there's a case, of course, about redistricting in Alabama, where um, uh, plaintiffs argue that uh, uh, black voters were in many ways being disenfranchised, underrepresented, because there's only one majority black district in the state when the population would really demand more. Well, it turns out, I said yesterday, I wasn't sure when they were taking that up. Well, it's today. And the significance of that case is really crucial uh, because not only might it have an impact on how redistricting is overseen, it could possibly take out of the hands of state courts the right to make decisions about um, whether redistricting or other moves in elections, moving a polling place and the like, our uh, uh, courts can rule on those and put it in the hands of the legislature. Uh, 
we can't even talk about it because Chase just told me we've got less than a minute to go. But I wanted to get it on the record. It's just, it's something we'll talk about in the next couple of days because it's a very important uh, court case. It's going to have a huge impact here in Georgia. That's it. We're out of time. Maya King, I know you got to go chase uh, after Herschel Walker. Thanks for being with us tomorrow. Uh, Chuck Williams and, uh, <laughs> of course, you too. Uh, Tammy Greer, thanks for being with us. We're out of time. I'm running as well. Take care. Stay healthy. Bye, everybody.